Today's episode is sponsored by NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. NerdWallet's financial journalists use fact-based reporting for some much-needed clarity in the finance world, helping you make smarter decisions with your money. Get smarter about things like saving on travel, because spending less on airfare means more money for an extra night and maybe a fancier dinner, too. Boosting your credit score, since good credit is like a real-life cheat code. And saving for an emergency fund, because life is like a good movie. It loves a good plot twist. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast on your favorite podcast app. Future you will thank you. The Peter Schiff Show. Well, we actually got a bunch of economic data released today. Apparently, the shutdown no longer affecting some of these newer releases, although we still have a bunch of old data uh, that has yet to be released. And I have a feeling that there's a lot of weak economic data uh, that uh, has yet to come out. But today we got some stronger than expected data, including the January jobs number. They were looking for 158,000 jobs to be created, which would follow the 312,000 a number that we got for December, which was a surprisingly strong number. And so the consensus was that we would have a weaker number in January. But we ended up with 304,000 jobs being allegedly created in January. But they now tell us that we didn't create 312,000 jobs in December. We only created 222,000 jobs, which is still a pretty big number, but it's 90,000 less. I mean, that's a huge revision uh, to think that they were off by 90,000 jobs. I mean, maybe they're off by 90,000 jobs again uh, in the month of January. I guess we'll have to wait uh, another month to find out. But that number was much bigger than was expected. And of course, you know, even if you take into consideration the revisions, right, it was still a net better number than what the markets were looking for. The uh, unemployment rate, the official unemployment rate, rose to 4%. Part of that was because the labor force participation rate continued to notch up. It went from 63.1 to 63.2. And since more people are now looking for work, those people are now officially unemployed. But a bigger story than the official rate is the U6 rate, which is far more accurate if you want to you know, get a, a real look at the U.S. labor market. Of course, it's not 100% accurate because it only includes discouraged workers who have been discouraged for under a year. So it doesn't capture any of the long-term uh, unemployed, which are a big part of the, the, the true picture of the American labor market. But the U6 rate, which uh, includes the short-term discouraged workers, but also the people who are working part-time, but who really want to work full-time. And we had a surge, I think something like half a million part-time jobs uh, were uh, added, according to the household survey, during the month. So a lot of people working part-time, they probably want to work full-time, but they are settling for part-time work. And that meant that the U6 number went from 7.6 to 8.1. Uh, that is the biggest monthly rise in U6 unemployment since May of 2009. I mean, you got to go back to you know the Great Recession or the, just the tail end of it to see that big a jump 
in U6. Now, I guess people could dismiss that as just uh, somehow related to the government shutdown. I'm not sure exactly how it relates to the government shutdown, uh, but I guess you could try to uh, attribute it to that. The uh, average hourly earnings, though, there we got a low number. The prior increase was 0.4, and the consensus was for an increase of 0.3, and we only got 0.1. So not as much wage growth, which is normally what the market's like, except now it doesn't matter because the Fed is out of the picture. People are no longer worried about the Fed raising rates, so they're not concerned about uh, about those numbers. In fact, that's what I said on the podcast that I did on Wednesday. I didn't think it really mattered what this number was. I mean, I thought it would probably be a strong number, but I don't think the markets care because the Fed is already taken out of the picture. They're not going to raise rates. And so a strong number, knowing that the Fed isn't going to raise rates, this should have been perfect for the stock market. I mean, the stock market should have rallied on this because the strong number shows the economy maybe is stronger than people think. So corporate earnings are going to still be there, but the Fed is not going to rain on the parade by raising interest rates. So this should have been the perfect number for the stock market. If the stock market was going to rally, this is exactly the type of number that it should have rallied on, except it didn't. I mean, the Dow was up almost 200 points at one point earlier in the day. But then in the last hour, the Dow actually traded into negative territory, managed to close up about 64 points, but well off its highs, the NASDAQ was actually down about 17 points. So the market did not rally on this good news. Good news is good news now with the Fed you know, on the sidelines. The Fed is your friend. So the fact that we couldn't rally on good news to me, is probably an indication that this bear market rally has pretty much run its course and there's not a lot of upside left. Because if there was a lot of upside left, they would have bid up the market today because they had all this supposed good news that should have moved the, uh, the market higher. The same token applies in reverse to uh, gold. You know, Gold should have sold off, right, on a stronger-than-expected number. But as I said on my last podcast, gold's not afraid of these strong numbers anymore because the Fed is no longer part of the plan. It's, it's, it's taken itself out of the game. And gold only dropped about $3 an ounce on this strong number. And it wasn't just the jobs number that was strong. We got other economic data that came out today that was stronger than expected that would normally be very negative for the gold market. We got a stronger than expected PMI number that came out. We got a stronger than expected ISM manufacturing number, stronger than expected construction spending. So we had a lot of numbers that normally uh, would be problematic for the gold market and nothing happened. Same thing with the dollar. I mean, none of the strong economic data or the stronger than expected jobs numbers, the dollar index was unchanged. In fact, it spent most of the day uh, slightly negative before closing it about unchanged. So again, that would indicate to me that if the dollar is not going to rally on the strong economic data, it's not going to rally. You know, oil, oil rallied today. We actually closed now at 55.30, continuing the move up. And as I've been pointing out, I think oil is putting in a head and shoulders bottom in the charts. And I think it uh, portends a pretty big upward move in the price of oil. A lot of this, of course, is the result of inflation, but it is going to complicate 
the Fed's efforts to pretend that the reason that they're not hiking rates is because of, uh, of an absence of inflation, because now that the Fed has backed off from the rate hikes and is going to slow down its quantitative tightening, uh, that's going to enable uh, the commodity markets led by oil to rise. And it was falling oil prices that actually formed the basis of the idea that, well, inflation is no longer a threat. The inflation threat is going to be right back on the table, but the Fed is going to have to completely ignore it because, as I said before, that's not the reason that they backed off on the rate hikes. They backed off on the rate hikes because the stock market went into a bear market. And if the Fed continued with the hikes, uh, the bear market would be hitting new lows. The reason that we have a rally in the bear market is because the Fed did a 180 degree policy shift. But as I've been saying, that's not enough to stop this bear. That's not enough to stop the recession. It's going to happen anyway. And so they're going to have to come back with a bigger spot of stimulus, which is going to be cutting rates and doing QE4. The markets just haven't figured that out yet. But the fact that gold is not selling off on the stronger data, the fact that the dollar is not rising on the stronger data shows that at least to some extent, uh, we're starting to get uh, the markets to at least get a, a, a small sense of what's going to happen. They haven't really figured it out yet, or gold would be rising much more. Uh, the dollar would be tanking much faster. But, you know, you got to crawl before you can walk. And I assume that we're going to be walking and then running and then sprinting in these markets uh, before too long. But I want to switch gears and talk a little bit about politics, because Bernie Sanders, who I don't think Sanders has officially announced that he is going to be a candidate for president, but I'm pretty sure that he's going to throw his hat in the ring. And one of the indications that he's trying to stake out a very liberal position was the fact that he came out now today with a plan to increase the estate tax to 77 percent for estates above, I think, $10 million, 77%. Now, that's not taxation. That is confiscation, right? If you're taking 77% of somebody's money, I mean, you're, what, you're, you're leaving them with 23% left? I mean, that's outright confiscation. And remember, that's just the federal government's take. You know, there are a lot of states that have their own uh, inheritance taxes, too. So after the states get a chunk and the federal government takes 77 percent, there really is very little left over for the actual heirs. But I think what's happening is basically Sanders is up in the bid because, you know, he's trying to compete for the Democratic Socialist vote. So it's basically who can steal the most money from the rich to give to the people who are going to vote for you. And so he has to outbid Akasha Cortez or Elizabeth Warren. It's a race to the left. Who could get the furthest to the left? Who can promise the most? And so somebody's going to have to, you know, uh, see that bet and raise it by coming up with something even crazier. But the whole idea that the government needs to confiscate uh, capital that's going to be handed down through the generations. I've talked about this. This is one of the dumbest taxes that exists. First of all, all of that wealth was taxed as it was earned, right? So when people earned money, they paid taxes. But then to tax the estate a second time, just because it is willed to the heirs of the person who already earned the money and paid all the taxes as he was earning it or she was earning it, uh, 
not only is that not right, right, not only is that immoral, but it's terrible for the economy because the the biggest asset that the economy has is accumulated capital. I mean, accumulated capital is what allows businesses to grow. It's what funds capital investment. It's what enables increased economic productivity. The last thing you want to do is destroy the capital that has been built up over somebody's lifetime. I mean, you don't want businesses to have to die uh, when their founders die, because that's what would happen unless people could find ways to avoid these onerous taxes through various, uh, uh, you know, estate planning schemes uh, that can sidestep some of the inheritance tax. But, you know, one of the reasons that guys like Warren Buffett, even though he's a wealthy guy, and I'm sure he's found all sorts of ways to, uh, you know, keep his money away from the estate tax. One of the reasons that guys like Buffett like it is because a lot of businesses that Berkshire Hathaway buys are businesses that are bought because the owners died and the heirs don't have enough money to pay the estate tax, so they have to liquidate the business. Well, imagine if the estate tax is 77%, there's no business that can survive that, right? If you have that type of tax on the value of a private business, the only way the heirs can pay the tax is to liquidate that business, which means that the economy no longer gets the benefit of that business, the goods and services that it was providing, and certainly workers no longer get the jobs uh, that they had. I mean, obviously, you can sell the business out to a larger company, but what the larger company is going to do is lay off a bunch of people. They're going to try to uh, create some economies of scale, and that business is going to go away. But, you know, the other big danger that you have when you have these kind of confiscatory type estate taxes is you're telling American entrepreneurs to make as much money as they can in their own lifetime. To Don't think about the generations in the future. Don't think about your grandkids and your great-grandkids because you can't build up a business for them to take over because we're going to destroy it when you die. We're going to take your entire lifetime of effort of building up a company and we're going to tear it down when you die because that's the only way your heirs are going to be able to pay the tax is if we destroy your business. And, and so what that means is that people think shorter term. They're not going to make investments that might pay off in 50 or 100 years because they're not going to live long enough to see the benefits. And neither are their kids or grandkids because the businesses aren't going to exist. You know, when, when people are building up businesses and they're bringing their family members or bringing their sons and their dollars into the family business and they're showing them the ropes and, they're, and the owner of the business is preparing his children or grandchildren to take over the business. Right. When you have that kind of mentality, you can think long term. You can make investments that might not even pay off in your own lifetime because you're thinking about the payoff that happens uh, during the lifetime of your children or grandchildren or great grandchildren. And that type of long term thinking and that type of vision and investment benefits the economy. Right? We don't want to stifle that. We don't want to tell entrepreneurs not to think about the long-term growth of their businesses because your businesses aren't going to be here in the long run because we're going to tax them out of existence because we don't think it's fair that somebody should be able to inherit money. Look, life isn't fair. Right? John Kennedy said that, a famous Democrat. Life isn't fair. Is it fair that some people get to inherit money? No, it's not fair.
But it's not fair that some people are born uh, with a lot of uh, talent and others aren't. Some people have a lot of athletic ability. Some people are very beautiful and others are not. Is that fair? No. Nothing about life is fair. You just have to make the best of the hand that you're dealt and try to improve that hand and do whatever you can. But you can't just be so envious of people that have a better hand that you want to cut off your nose to spite your face. Because by trying to you know, uh, confiscate these uh, inheritances because you don't think it's fair, uh, you end up destroying the economic growth that would otherwise come uh, from those estates, from those businesses. Sure, you can sell the business to pay the tax, so the government has a little bit of money, so it can give everybody, you know, uh, ten bucks or a hundred bucks, whatever it is, and everybody can go out and blow the money and spend it, and now it's gone. And you're destroying a lifetime of accumulated capital and a business just so we can go out and spend more money. And now the money is spent and it's gone. And what do we have to show for it? Nothing. Right. So this type of uh, politics, this kind of envy politics, uh, is exactly what enables the left to gain power, right? Because, oh, yeah, they say, oh, don't worry about this estate tax, this 77% estate tax. It's not going to affect you. It's only going to affect people that make, that have estates of, you know, 10 million or 50 million. I forget, you know, maybe it's, I forget where it comes in. Yeah, maybe it was over $50 million, whatever it was. It was a ridiculously, uh, it, it's a ridiculously high tax. But ultimately, again, just like with the income tax, once they impose this tax, the rate's going to come down, right? The 77% uh, estate tax, they're going to keep lowering that once they realize that they're not getting enough revenue from it because there's not that many people that have those type of estates. And probably a lot of people that already have those type of estates, maybe they've already done things. They've set up trusts or they've done things to uh, minimize or avoid the tax. So the best way to get revenue is going to be to lower the threshold from 50 million to 25 million to 10 million to 5 million, whatever it is. Again, that's how the income tax started. Soak the rich. Let's have a tax uh, that uh, is only on the rich, just like Elizabeth Warren's wealth tax. It's only going to apply to wealth above $50 million. Yeah, until they realize they're not going to get any tax revenue uh, from from that group of people because there's not enough of them. There's not enough money there, right? They got to go to where the money is, right? Why Willie Sutton robbed banks? Because that's where the money was. Well, if you want to take tax the public, you got to go to the middle class because that's where all the money is because that's where all the people are. So they got to continually lower uh, the rate uh, that's subject to this 77% confiscatory estate tax. And then uh, inflation will take care of the rest because inflation is going to make the nominal value of everybody's assets go up. And so as the threshold for when the 77% rate kicks in goes down and inflation artificially makes your wealth look like it's bigger. You just have a bigger number, but there's no more real value than more and more people slip in to the tax. And again, really what this is, is government confiscation. And as I explained before, the whole concept of the estate tax, in order to get around the constitutional restriction on direct taxes, the government had to pretend that the estate tax is a uh, excise tax on the privilege of leaving an estate and the tax is not on the estate, but on the privilege, but measured based on the size of the estate. 
if you own your wealth and you earned it honestly, it is not a privilege to leave it to your kids or whoever you want. It is a right. We have property rights. We don't have property privileges. If you own property, you have a right to dispose of it the way you want. You have a right to gift it or will it to whoever you want. And it's not up to the government to claim that a right is a privilege and then levy a tax. And that's basically what they're going to do on this. But basically what the government is saying is that they own all the wealth. Whatever they let you keep is a gift from the government. That's not what America is about. Right. Other countries, maybe they, they people won their rights gradually from the king. Right. The king surrendered or, or gave some privileges to his subjects. Right. And the people gradually uh, got rights. But in America, it started the opposite. America, we had all the rights. We didn't have a king. We had a revolution. We were a free people. And what we did is we ceded some of our rights to form the government. So the government gets its powers as a grant from the people. So we started off with all these inalienable rights and we surrendered some of those to a government to preserve and protect our rights. And one of those rights that the government was charged with protecting and preserving was the right to property. And the right to property means you have a right to give it away, you have a right to leave it to whoever you want, and the public doesn't have a right to steal it just because they don't think it's fair. Meanwhile, even if Bernie Sanders hasn't officially thrown his hat in the ring just yet, Senator Cory Booker, you know, I am Spartacus, is now an official candidate. And, you know, he's probably the least bad candidate. I mean, of all the guys, not that I'm a fan of Cory Booker. I mean, I'm not. I think he'd be a horrible president. It's just that he might not be as horrible a president as Elizabeth Warren or or Bernie Sanders or the people that are in, in, in that are officially running right now. He's actually not quite as far left. Now, the question is, does that mean he can't win? Because he's not left enough. I mean, even though he's black, right? So he he could get a lot of votes just because he's 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 black. Uh, but the question is, is he liberal enough, right? And if he's not, he's obviously going to be pushed in that direction if he wants to remain relevant. I mean, maybe he wants to run, you know, for the moderates. I mean, but could you imagine the moderates of the De- Democratic Party? I mean, Cory Booker is their guy. I mean, that's how far left uh, the Democratic Party has moved, that the only moderate candidate in the race is Cory Booker. But I'm sure this uh, this field is going to get a lot more crowded uh, as uh, as time goes by. But, you know, I want to spend more of this podcast on another one of these uh, uh, social issues. And this, again, this is something that I've been saying was going to happen based on the double standard that exists in this country for truth uh, when it comes to political correctness, right, and advancing a narrative uh, that is false. And I don't know if, if, you, if you have heard this story or not. Um, you know, it's certainly, uh, you know, out there now. But... Jussie Smollett is an actor on a show called Empire. And Empire is a Fox uh, uh, show. I've never actually seen the show, so I don't really know too much about it. In fact, I never heard of this actor. I'm not even sure if I'm pronouncing his name right, Jussie Smollett, uh, until this thing happened. right? And so to the extent that this is a publicity stunt, it's actually working because now I know who this guy is and I never I had no idea who he was before the incident happened. But basically what happened is this guy claims that he received a, a threatening letter right from some racist homophobes 
that were basically threatening him. I mean, physically threatening him in a letter to the point that, you know, the producers of the show offered to provide him with a bodyguard, like a round the clock bodyguard, just, you know, just in case. Right. Because, hey, you got this threatening letter. You know, we want to try to protect you now that you got this letter. And apparently he said he didn't want the protection. So he was worried about the letter, but not not so worried that he took them up on an offer to provide free uh, private security. So, I mean, he couldn't have been felt that threatened about it if he if he turned that down. Anyway, so supposedly several nights later, right, it's like two o'clock in the morning in Chicago. And this guy is staying in a hotel, the Lowe's Hotel in Chicago. And of course, it's like what? It's like freezing in Chicago, right? It's, you know, below zero. I don't know, 20 below zero, right? It's, it's this it's Arctic blast, right? That's going on in the Midwest. So totally cold. It's two o'clock in the morning, right? I guess he's in his hotel room, right? In a warm bed and he gets hungry and he decides he wants to go to the subway restaurant that happens to be like an all night subway restaurant. It's about four or five blocks from the hotel. So he decides he wants to walk down there and, and get a sandwich. Now it's two in the morning, right? It's freezing cold. Now I checked online and I looked up this restaurant, the Lowe's Hotel in Chicago, where he was staying, and they have 24-hour room service seven days a week. So to me, if you know it's two o'clock in the morning and you decide that you're hungry and you got to get a salad, because that's what he apparently he ordered, a salad and a sandwich. If you want a salad and a sandwich and you're staying in a hotel and they got 24-hour room service and you're in bed, why not just pick up the phone and just order it? Why do you really want to bundle up to go out in, you know, minus 20 degree weather and work, walk five blocks and go order fast food at, at a restaurant? Especially if you just got a letter a few days ago, a threatening letter where these, you know, racist homophobes are threatening to beat you up. Why go out in the, alone in the middle of the night when you could just order your room service, right? So, but for whatever he decides, he doesn't want the room service. He wants to get dressed. He wants to take a walk. He doesn't really care that he was threatened. So he walks out. He goes to the Subway restaurant, and he orders his sandwich and a salad. And apparently, sometime between the time that he left the Subway restaurant and got back from his hotel, he was attacked by a couple of racist, homophobic white men, Trump supporters. Now, I don't know how he knew they were white, because according to what I've read, he said they were wearing ski masks and dark clothing, which I assume included gloves because, I mean, it's freezing cold out. I mean, you're going to wear gloves. So, I mean, if you got a ski mask, I mean, can you really tell if someone's white or black? I mean, maybe there's enough of the skin like around the holes where the eyes are that you can kind of see maybe they're white. But what if they're just light skinned black or I mean, what if they're Hispanic? I mean, could you really tell a white person from a Hispanic person when they have a ski mask and all of their skin is covered up? I don't know. But somehow he knew they were white. Maybe he knew they were white because they yelled out that this is uh, MAGA country, right? MAGA country, make America great again. Now, I don't know who would describe downtown Chicago as MAGA country. I mean, it's probably as opposite uh, MAGA country as you're going to find probably anywhere in the country, but somehow these white uh, homophobic racists believe that they were in MAGA country and they beat him up. Uh, they poured some liquid on him. I'm not sure what it was. And then they put a noose around his neck and then they left. 
And when he got back to his hotel, I'm not sure how much time transpired. Apparently, he left the noose around his neck for maybe 45 minutes or an hour waiting for the police to show up uh, so he could tell them about the assault, which didn't look that bad. I mean, I mean, to me, if these guys, you know, really wanted to beat this guy up, you know, they would have done a much better job. He seems like he, you know, he it, it, the attack didn't seem that bad, judging by the, the injuries that he apparently suffered. Although... The idea is that I guess these people that attacked him are the same people or one of the same people that sent him that threatening letter. Although, why would they just be there? I mean, how would they know that this guy is going to wake up at two in the morning and decide to go down to the subway and get a sandwich? And they just happen to be waiting there to, um, you know, to attack him. But he reported this thing to the police. Right. And actually, in order to kind of, you know, create the fact that there was a witness. Right. Apparently. At the exact moment in time that this assault occurred, he was talking to his agent on his cell phone. And his agent is the one that reported that he was able to hear, while the attack was going on, the white uh, racist homophobes saying that this was MAGA country. And apparently they were also saying other homophobic racist slurs. But one of the things that he was able to hear from the other side of the cell phone was the idea that this was MAGA country, meaning, of course, these are Trump supporters, right? Just like these these kids, uh, the high school kids in Washington, D.C., they're a bunch of white racist uh, Trump supporters, but they weren't wearing MAGA hats, right? They were just wearing ski masks, but they were they were talking about MAGA. But anyway, so he was on his cell phone. Now, since this incident took place in downtown Chicago, there's all these cameras all around. So the police have footage of this guy walking from the subway restaurant all the way back to his hotel. They have almost the whole thing on camera and nowhere in these surveillance cameras can they see the attack. In fact, nowhere on this on the surveillance cameras are there any people like running around or people that look like they might have been in? Apparently, they did release one photograph, the only photograph they had that showed two people walking like slowly on the street, looked like their hands were in their pockets. You couldn't really see them. So those are the only apparent suspects that they have. These two people that are just innocently walking, you know, in the vicinity of where uh, the alleged attack occurred. But they do have the the testimony, right, or the, 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 the statement that he was on the phone with his manager at the exact time of the attack. So they don't the the best thing about that is, OK, great. Right. You were on your phone. So let's get take a look at your phone. Right. The police wanted to look at his phone so then they can a they can narrow down exactly when the attack occurred, because after all, your statement is that I was on the phone during the attack. Right. Well, see, normally people aren't on the phone when they're attacked. But the good part about that is now, you know, exactly when the attack occurred. So it might help the police investigation to know exactly when it happened. Right. And so Justice Smollett has refused to turn over the phone. Now, think about this. Okay, you make an accusation that you've been assaulted, you've been attacked. There's no actual physical corroborating evidence of the attackers. I mean, you do have some bruises, right, that you have on your on your face. Uh, but there's no other evidence. Of, there's no eyewitnesses other than the guy that you claim overheard it on the other end of the cell phone, right? You would think that, you know, if you really want to help the police 
find the attackers, you would give them your cell phone. You wouldn't have to be ordered to turn it over. You say, hey, here's my cell phone. Look, check the time. See when I was making the call, right? But the fact that the police tried to get the cell phone records and, you know, Smollett doesn't even want to give it to him. And of course, now the police have been pressured and they said, we're not even going to ask, you know, like, because they're saying that he's the victim. And so they don't want to, you know, force the victim to go through the trauma of turning over his cell phone, which doesn't seem all that traumatic to me. And how do they know that this guy is a victim? Because if this didn't happen, and again, that's the whole point of this. To me, it doesn't make sense that this happened, right? I don't, I don't believe for one second that this attack actually took place. Now, is it possible? Okay, sure. Yes, it is possible that he was attacked. But if he was attacked, he would want to help the police as much as he could. He would want to give them the cell phone so that they can narrow down the time window. See, the... the the problem is, I'm sure if they got that cell phone, either they would find there was no call at all, right, in which case the whole thing was a lie, or they could find the time of the call and judge it from the security cameras. Because apparently there's about one minute of the time between when he left the Subway restaurant and arrived back at his hotel five blocks later. There's about one minute of that walk that they didn't get the footage of. So apparently the entire attack would have had to have taken place in that minute. And the attackers would have had to flee the uh, the range of the cameras in that minute as well. So this whole attack must have taken place in just a matter of seconds. And it just so happened to coincide with the time that he was on a phone call with his manager. So if they actually got the phone records and the call did not overlap that one-minute gap, well, then they would know that the whole thing was made up. So he can't turn over uh, the phone. The only reason that he wouldn't want the police to have the phone is if the phone is going to contradict his story, and so it's not being turned over. But, of course, the minute Jesse Smollett has made an accusation, right, Everybody on the left has come out to condemn the attack. This is horrible. This is, you know, racist. This is homophobic, right? Everybody loves it when you can get a double victim, right? Because this is this is a twofer as far as the left is concerned. I mean, he's a victim twice. Not only is he a victim because he's black, he's a victim because he's homosexual. I mean, obviously, he's a very successful, wealthy guy. He's starring in a TV show. He's staying at a swanky hotel in Chicago. So he's not a victim of anything. I mean, he's you know living the American dream, but he's basically, to me, trying to jumpstart his career uh, with this publicity stunt, which is also a twofer as far as he's concerned, because he can he can create uh, a publicity for himself while also trying to tear down Trump, Trump supporters, trying to ride this. Uh, wave of uh, victimization and how, you know, there's so much racism and homophobia now, thanks to Donald Trump, because these guys are now Trump supporters, because they said this is MAGA country. So he accomplishes so much by just making this up. And you know what? Nothing is going to happen to him if he did make it up. In fact, the police have already backed off, right, saying, oh, he's the victim. You know what? If he lied to the police, he's not the victim. He is the criminal. 
because it is a crime to lie to the police. I mean, they have, I don't know, a dozen guys on this investigation. I don't know how much manpower is being wasted looking for, you know, supposed attackers that probably don't even exist. It's not like the Chicago's got all this extra money. They could afford to blow it, you know, on a wild goose chase. So if he is basically making this stuff up, he's a criminal. He's not a victim. He's only a victim if he's telling the truth. But the police are saying, oh, we don't want to see any of that information because he's the victim. To me, this whole story seems so made up that I would be suspicious that he made it up. But, of course, the police can't because if they do anything to, to say that this guy isn't being honest, well, there's probably going to be riots, right? Oh, why? Oh, oh, he would never lie. After all, he's black and homosexual. So why would he lie? He's always going to tell the truth. He must be believed. Victims must be believed no matter what they say. In fact, I'm sure Jesse realized this, right? This is the culture. I'm going to be believed no matter what. I don't have to have any proof. I don't have to have any evidence. I don't have to cooperate with the police. All I have to do is say something and everybody is going to believe me because I am black and because I am a homosexual. Believe me, if a white straight man claimed to be attacked by some um, black guys, you know, uh, that supported, you know, Akasha Cortez or something like that, you know, <laughs> there'd be all sorts of scrutiny on it. But everybody is so quick to believe this because everybody believes on the left, right, that that so many white people are, are so violent and so bigoted and so full of hate that if somebody comes up and says, yeah, I was attacked by a bunch of homophobic white racists, everybody believes it. Of course, yes, of course you were attacked. But, of course, he might have made it up. Again, who goes out at 2 o'clock in the morning in sub-zero temperature to get a sandwich and a salad when you're in a hotel with 24-hour room service? To make it worse, who's going to do that after they just received a letter where people threatened to harm you physically? Now you're going to go out in the middle of the night and, and give people a chance to jump you? And why would people in freezing cold weather be standing out there waiting for this guy to come out at 2 o'clock, go, go get a sandwich. And why did, he, why did he turn down the security protection that he was offered? I mean, the whole thing stinks. The whole thing seems like it was made up to me. And look, it's not because, you know, I, I'm, you know I'm not saying this because he's black. It's because he's homosexual. Again, I, I don't care about his race or his sexual orientation. Right. I'm just looking at the story. I'm just looking at the facts and the facts show that it's more likely that this guy is an opportunist. This guy is taking advantage of this situation to come out with this nonsense. And people are afraid to say it's not true. One, everyone wants to believe it's true because it helps perpetuate the narrative right of this racist society. So this is great. Everybody is happy that this has happened and nobody wants to point out that he's lying because if if he is lying and if it's pointed out then it really destroys the credibility of this whole movement because then more so-called victims are questioned about their honesty so what we have to do is we have to believe everybody just because they've made an allegation i suppose what everybody is hoping is that look the police will eventually back off they're never going to go after this guy for lying to the police and i don't know if he swore anything or perjured himself i'm not sure if he had to sign some kind of sworn statement but I'm sure they're never they're just going to let it all blow off. Right. Just like, you know, nobody nobody is looking for the people that actually killed uh, Nicole Brown and Ron Goldman. Right. I mean, 
Joe J. Systems. Aren't you going to go out there and look for the murderer? No, we, they don't have to look for the murderer. The murderer, the murderer got off, right? The jury let him off. So the Chicago police are not going to spend any more time looking for these criminals that don't exist, right? But they're probably not going to do anything about a false allegation that was made and, you know, they'll just leave it alone. But now this guy is going to be, you know, this victim. He's going to be celebrated. He's going to be a hero. He's going to be, you know, uh, everything the left, uh, you know, it validates everything they believe about about Trump supporters and about white people. And, and he's going to be able to, uh, you know, ride this wave and maybe it's going to help his career and maybe he'll make even more money. And he's just going to be an inspiration to other people to come out and say, yeah, me too. Why don't I come out and say I got attacked? I don't need any evidence, right? I don't I don't need any proof. In fact, if the police ask me for some evidence, I just refuse to supply it on the grounds that I'm a victim and I shouldn't have to be inconvenienced by having to actually cooperate in the investigation. And believe me, if somebody attacked me, I would do everything I could to aid the police in finding the people who attacked me. I mean, I would be here's my cell phone. Here's what 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 else can I do for you? What else can I give you? to help you find these guys, to narrow down the time frame. Let me give you all the evidence that I have. Instead, he doesn't want to supply any evidence whatsoever. I mean, what more proof would you need? But, you know, in looking at the the stories on the Internet and, and, and things like that, nobody is really saying what I'm saying. I mean, nobody is coming out and saying that maybe this thing didn't happen. Maybe it's just a publicity stunt. Everybody says the attack occurred, right? I don't even see that many articles where it's he was allegedly attacked. He was attacked. He was assaulted by racists, by homophobes. He was beaten. All this stuff is being reported as if it actually happened, even though there isn't a shred of evidence other than some of the bruises on Jesse Smollett's face, which obviously could have been self-inflicted. I have no idea where those bruises came from. Now, and even if he was attacked by somebody, the chances are they would have it in the security footage. The cameras, the surveillance cameras would have it on camera. So everything doesn't make sense. In fact, it seems to me that he planned this whole thing. He, He went out in the middle of the night not to get a sandwich, but just so that he would be out in the middle of the night so he can claim he was attacked in the middle of the night. Because right? that's the only reason that you would get out of your warm bed and, and, and walk five blocks in minus 20 degree temperature when you could pick up the phone and order room service. Now, I mean, I'm not 100% sure that he was in his hotel. When I read the articles, it says he went on a trip to the, the Subway restaurant. Now, I mean, because... I mean, maybe in theory, he could have been going home from someplace else and he stopped at the Subway restaurant. But that doesn't make any sense either, because if he was farther away from his hotel, he would have taken a cab. He would have taken an Uber. Why is he going to get out of the cab to go to a Subway when five blocks further, he can get out of the cab and go to his hotel, get into a warm bed and order room service? So nothing makes any sense. And I know some people might say, oh, well, you know, room service is expensive. So he, he decided to get up in the middle of a cold night and walk five blocks because he wanted to save a few dollars off of the room service fee. That is ridiculous. First of all, this guy is a successful actor. He's starring in a show. He's staying at, a, at, a, at an expensive hotel. He can afford to order room service. In fact, I bet if we got this guy's room service bill, he probably orders room service all the time. You know, why wouldn't he order the room service at two in the morning? You know, why did he decide to go uh, outside and walk to the subway. It wasn't because he wanted a sandwich. He wanted to create the situation. In fact, I wouldn't be surprised if the guy made up 
uh, the threatening letter. I think the whole thing, maybe he wrote the letter himself and mailed it just so he can, you know, he can start the narrative. And and then because why else would he would he would he turn down the security protection? I mean, believe me, if I got a letter and somebody threatened me and somebody offered to give me free security, free guard to just walk around with me and to stand outside of my apartment, I'd say hell yeah. I mean, I would want that protection if I actually received the threatening letter. But of course, if the whole thing was a hoax, if I wrote the letter to myself, then the last thing I want is a security guard, especially if I'm planning to tell the police about an attack that didn't actually occur. If I have a 24-hour guard, that guard is going to be able to screw up my story because he's not going to see the attack. And so I can't make up a phony attack if I actually have real security. So that seems to me to be a better explanation of why he turned down the security guard. Anyway, you know, and I'm sure some people are going to tell, oh, Peter Schiff, hey, Peter Schiff's a racist because he doesn't believe this black individual or Peter Schiff is a homophobe because he doesn't believe this homosexual individual. Look, I don't believe people who are probably lying. I don't care what their sexual orientation is or the color of their skin. If the story made sense, I would believe it. Right? It doesn't make sense at all. Nothing about this makes sense. The only thing that makes sense is given the mood of the country and given the, the willingness of people to believe so-called victims, as long as they are a member of the victim class and the idea that you can believe Anything that's said, right, just like the professor who accused Kavanaugh of sexual assault, you know, 30 years ago, everybody believed her. She had absolutely no evidence, right, but everybody believed her, right, and as far as everybody is concerned, she's still a hero, right, and so this type of mentality is what inspired these type of copycat uh, phony victims. It, it, it's what encourages them to come out and come forward because they know no one is going to call them out. They are going to be protected. People are going to be afraid that if they do call them out, then they're going to get labeled a racist. They're going to say, oh, you're victimizing the victim, right? How dare you? This person was through a trauma. They've been attacked. How dare you try to, you know, scrutinize their story or scrutinize the facts? At least there isn't an actual criminal pointed out. So there's there's no innocent person being accused of a crime. These are just two fictitious white people uh, that, you know, beat him up and now they're gone. So nobody is going to be held accountable for this non-crime. So it's not like, you know, he's tearing down the career of another innocent person like in the Kavanaugh case, but he is certainly using uh, this opportunity to advance his own career and also to further a political narrative. And again, just like Akasha Cortez says, the facts don't matter. The truth doesn't matter if you're morally right. So maybe this guy thinks, look, we know white people are racist. We know Trump supporters are racist and homophobes. So even if we have to make up a story about an attack that didn't really take place, it's okay because I'm morally right, right? I have the moral high ground. I'm one of the good guys. I'm one of the victims. And so I can lie with impunity and nobody can call me out because if they do, then we can play uh, the race card, the homophobic card, and and we can say, see, you're blaming the victim, just like we thought. You're you're coming to the defense uh, of white people or of men, and that simply proves uh, that you're a racist. And so they, they can't lose. This guy has nothing to lose from coming out and making a false accusation because nobody could prove it, right? Nobody can, you know, 100% you can't prove that he's lying. 
Uh, and so since there's no evidence that he's telling the truth, but there's there's not 100% concrete that he's lying, people will always believe him. So there's nothing but upside for this guy. But, you know, I hope this thing blows up. I mean, if I mean, if he is lying, I mean, I really hope there's some way that it comes out. Now, if he's telling the truth, well, I guess I owe him an apology. If it actually turns out that despite all the ridiculous holes in his story, he actually did get up uh, in, in the middle of the night and, and, and went out for a, a Subway sandwich and because he didn't like the room service menu, and he actually did get beat up by a bunch of white guys, and he actually was on the phone with his manager, and the manager overheard uh, um, the uh, the white guys screaming about MAGA country, well, then I have to apologize if that's actually proven. But the one thing we know is that this guy is never going to apologize to anybody for any of the lies that he might have told in order to send the police on a wild goose chase and to drum up publicity for himself. <laughs>